today. Uh, most of you know him, but for those of you who don't, Mike Gendron is the founder of Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries, and he is. we are blessed to have him come and preach the word to us here this morning. He has been preaching the word for many, many years, and we've been blessed to have him. And what Bob and I always say is if Mike Gendron is coming to town, there is a 100% chance you will hear the word of God taught and taught very well. So give a great big welcome to Mike Gendron. Thank you, Eric. Well, it is a joy to be back. It's been nine years. I don't know if y'all realize that. Time just seems to be exponential now. It's no longer linear. Maybe that's just because we're getting so old and we're getting closer to heaven. But anyway, it's a joy to be back with you. And this morning I want to talk about a message that I think will really amaze you because um, when you look at the convergence of Islam and Roman Catholicism, many people would say, well, how can that possibly happen? Well, according to scripture, the last days will be marked by a world ruler with great political power under the activity of Satan. But he's not alone. He has a partner who is the final false prophet and a religious leader who will unite all the people of the world into a satanic global religion. The false prophet will cause the world to worship the Antichrist as if he were God. And we can only wonder if the papacy will be the office of the false prophet. Because as you know, the Roman Catholic Church has influence throughout the world. The current Pope is doing everything he can to unite the world under the power and influence of the papacy. Not only religiously, but politically as well. You know, he has got ambassadors from all the countries of the world coming to him because he's also the head of the Vatican State politically. So have you ever wondered how there can be a united one world religion when all the religions of the world are so diverse? Well, this morning we're going to answer that question and how the convergence of Islam and Roman Catholicism may be the very catalyst that will bring all the religions of the world together. Because together, these two religions make up 3 billion people, which represents 40% of the world's population. So I believe as these two converge, I think that'll be the catalyst for all the other religions to follow suit. And please know that this message not only has prophetic implications, but it's also a message that I hope all of you leave here with a greater compassion for the people that are trapped in these two false religions. We really need to reach out to them because let's face it, you and I were just as lost as they are before the Lord extended his sovereign grace to save us. So to begin with, let's go to the scriptures in Revelation chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. We read, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is the first beast, everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life who has been slain. So we see the precursor of these events taking place today. Last year, there was a historic interfaith covenant which was signed in the Middle East, the most important iman in, Sunan, in Islam arrived at the signing ceremony in Abu Dhabi with Pope Francis. They were hand in hand, a symbol of their interfaith brotherhood. But this wasn't just a ceremony for Catholics and Muslims. The signing of the covenant was done in front of a global audience of religious leaders from Christianity, Islam, Judaism, and other faiths. 
So this was a historic event, the signing of this covenant for unity. There was a concerted effort to make sure that all of the religions of the world were represented at this gathering. The Pope explained that the document is, quote unquote, born of faith in God, who is the father of all and the father of all and the father of peace. The Pope has shown that he will not allow anything to interfere with his global agenda. And I don't know, some of you are probably familiar with the last three popes, but this one has really accelerated the movement toward a global religion and a global government faster than any other previous pope. That is his agenda. And it's really amazing. We're going to look at some of his quotes this morning to see how he's bringing this about. So the catalyst for the global religion really is the Vatican. It's seeking unity with all the religions and all the faiths of the world. It's literally building bridges into every religion on the globe. And the calling card is unity and the means of peace. It's being pursued through interfaith dialogues. So one of the catalysts for where we are today was the 1994 Vatican public publication which is entitled, The Spiritual Bonds Which Unite Us, 16 Years of Christian-Muslim Dialogue. It reveals the goal of the Vatican is to draw Muslims into unity with the Roman Catholic Church. So this isn't a hidden agenda. This started back in 1994. At first glance, these two faiths appear to be vastly different, but under close inspection, you can see that they have a lot in common. We're going to look at 10 common bonds this morning. And it may surprise you that Roman Catholicism has more in common with Islam than it does with biblical Christianity. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, which was put together by the previous Pope Benedict, in paragraph 841 of the Catechism, it says, the plan of salvation also includes Muslims Together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. So have you ever wondered why the Roman Catholic Church singles out Islam among all the religions of the world to be included in a common plan of salvation? Well, both Islam and Catholicism employ autocratic religious systems that enforce rules for the society and for life. So we can only wonder if this might be the precursor of the coming autocratic rule of the Antichrist. So let's look then at 10 common bonds between Islam and Catholicism. I want to go quickly through all 10 and then we'll look at each one in a little bit more detail. Both deny the authority of scripture. Both embrace another Jesus. Both religions have a works righteousness salvation. And I hope you understand that all the religions of the world have this same characteristic. Biblical Christianity is set apart. We're the only faith that knows and believes that we are saved by grace alone because of the all-sufficient work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both religions honor Mary above all women. Both religions seek messages from apparitions. Both have human mediators. Both are anti-Semitic. Both seek world dominion, and both use prayer beads to avoid punishment. And lastly, both take pilgrimages to obtain favor from God. So due to the limited time we have this morning, I'm just going to touch briefly on each one of these 
but if you'd like to go deeper into it, I'm going to share some of the quotes Mike from the catechism. Up a bit where have less pop. Okay. Thank you, less pop. That's always good. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, let's look at the first one then. Both deny the authority of Scripture. If you know Roman Catholicism, you know they have three different authorities, one of which is Scripture, but they're said to be equal. But what they do is they use their quote-unquote infallible teachers made up of the bishops of the church to say that they're the only authentic interpreters of the Bible. And so what they do is distort Scripture in order to support their ungodly traditions. Muslims reject the Bible as the final revelation from God, saying the Old and New Testament were corrupt. The Quran is their supreme authority. And the pagan traditions of Catholicism and Islam stand opposed to the Bible. And I hope you realize that this is a characteristic of all religions and all cults, all apostate denominations. Those who refuse to submit to the supreme authority of Scripture are easily influenced by the lies of the devil. Satan is the master deceiver, the ruler of this age, and it's no wonder that both these religions are enemies of God's word and God's church. In these days of growing apostasy and great deception, we all need to be good Bereans and test every man's teaching with the supreme authority of God's word. That is our only protection against error and deception. We must test every teaching, including mine. Be a good Berean today and test everything I say with the word of God. I was witnessing to a Catholic priest several years ago and he was standing outside of his rectory, and we had a pretty good conversation. And after about 15 minutes, he said, you know what your problem is? You take the Bible too seriously. <laughs> and I said, wow, what a nice compliment. <laughs> and as he turned around and walked away, I said, the very word that you are rejecting today is the word that will condemn you on the last day. And that's out of the words of Jesus in John 12:48. You see, if anyone rejects the gospel, we never want to say, God bless you. We want them to know that what you're rejecting is going to judge you on the last day, and maybe that will ring in their hearts. Both use lies to advance their religion. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Catholicism repeats the first lie of Satan by declaring that venial sins do not cause death. You remember that was the lie of Satan in the garden. If you break God's command, you surely shall not die. Well, that's what Daniel sins declare today. You surely shall not die. Allah will not hold Muslims accountable for lying when it is beneficial to the cause of Islam. So according to the Muslim faith, lying is permitted in three cases. When a man is speaking to his wife to make her happy, lying at times of war, and lying in order to reconcile between two different people. But look at the lie of the venial sins for a moment. John MacArthur calls purgatory the safety net for Roman Catholics. So when you die with venial sins, you go to this medieval place called purgatory, which is said to purify the venial sins that you died with. And so this is why Roman Catholics are hard to witness to. Most of them would say that they really haven't committed any mortal sins, such as murder or adultery, so they rationalize and say their sins are venial. And so this is their safety net. 
Pope Francis was pictured in the cover of Life magazine, daring to say that he is the vicar of Christ from St. Peter all the way through today. Are you aware that the Pope has stolen all three titles given to the triune God? He dares to say that he is the Holy Father, a title given to God alone, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. He also dares to wear the title head of the church, the church he did not die for as the true head of the church did. And he also carries the title vicar of Christ. Jesus said, I must go, but I will send someone in my place. And he wasn't referring to the papacy, but to the Holy Spirit. So Pope Francis is a pawn of the devil who is the father of lies. He has been one of the most controversial popes in the history of the Roman Catholic Church. Many of his statements are not only in opposition to the authority of God's word, but they also deny historic Roman Catholicism. His deceptive lies are leading millions of people down the wide road to deception and also the wide road to destruction. The Bible says such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 16. So Satan, the father of lies, uses false apostles to deceive the world like a deadly, undetected cancer. These lies can spread quickly unless they are exposed and refuted by the word of God. My heart goes out to Roman Catholics who are believing the statements of this pope. I believe more than ever this is a great time to witness to Roman Catholics because many of them look at this pope as not really speaking the truth. When you go against historic Roman Catholicism, Catholics are wondering, who should we trust? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Christ in his word is the only way you can avoid deception. So popes have said that we believe in the same God. This is really puzzling. They've lied to Muslims saying that we have many things in common. We believe in the same God, the one and only God, the living God. Catholics believe God the Father has a son. How could they worship the same God when the Quran says Allah has no son? And I quote, Allah, who has not taken unto himself a son, Surah 17, 111. So in scripture, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the Quran, Allah is never referred to that way. In scripture, God calls the Jews his chosen people. In the Quran, Allah's covenant is with Ishmael. The true God died for his followers, but Allah asked his followers to die for him. What a contrast. Archaeological evidence reveals pre-Islamic religions in Arabia was the worship of 300 deities. What Muhammad did when he came on the scene, he eliminated all the deities except for Allah, the moon god. Did you know that nearly all of the moon god rituals, including kissing the black stone and praying toward Mecca, were pre-Islamic pagan rituals? No surprise, it is a pagan religion. Well, Wheaton College, once a bastion of conservative Christianity, had a professor. Her name was Larcia Hawkins. She stated that she wore a hijab because Christians and Muslims worship the same God. She said, I stand in religious solidarity with Muslims. 
because they are people of the book, and as Pope Francis stated, we worship the same God. This is how far-reaching the Pope's lies have become. This once conservative Christian college has established a scholarship to honor Professor Hawkins and her belief that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Well, are we all children of God? That's what Pope Francis said. He lied, saying that everyone is a child of the same God. And I quote, many think differently or see God in different ways, but there is only one certainty, we are all children of God. He also lied, saying there is no hell and that atheists will be in heaven, as long as they are sincere. Only sincere atheists will make it to heaven. Well, tragically, those who do not know the Bible are being deceived by this Pope's lies. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven because he came to rescue people from the wrath of God and from the eternal destiny of hell. He came to seek and to save the lost because no one seeks after the true God. Furthermore, we're, all, we're not all children of God. We go to the scriptures for our authority in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, and I quote, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So clearly from the authority of Scripture, we see that there are two spiritual parents. There's God who has his children, and there's Satan who has his children. And then in John 8, 44, Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He spoke this to the apostate religious leaders. So when the apostate Jewish leaders refused to believe the truth of God's word, Jesus soundly rebuked them by calling them children of the devil. So we know from scripture that everyone is a child of the devil until they exchange their religion for a relationship with the one true God through the one mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to God's word, only those who receive Jesus by faith become children of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. So the second common bond between Islam and Roman Catholicism, they both embrace another Jesus. Catholicism has a counterfeit Christ who did not finish the work of redemption, and he is not the only way to the Father. Islam also has a counterfeit Jesus. He is referred to as Esau in the Quran. He did not die on a cross, and according to the Quran, he is not God. We read in 2 Corinthians 11:4, if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which we have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. Another translation may say, you put up with this. And I think that's where the professing church is today. Rather than contending earnestly for the gospel and the faith of the apostles, we allow these false Christs to be spoken of like they are the true Christ. We need to contend earnestly for the faith, and we'll talk about that in the next hour. 
But the false Christ in the Eucharist must be represented as a sin offering every day on Catholic altars. But that's still not enough. Catholics must expiate and make satisfaction for their own sins through sufferings here on earth and in purgatory. We must ask Catholics, well, why did Jesus have to die if you're the one that has to expiate your own sins and suffer for your own sins? When you look at the Jesus of Rome, we can see he is a counterfeit because he did not obtain eternal redemption. Do you realize that's why the Mass is presented every day? What Jesus finished on the cross continues on Catholic altars. Every day he continues the work of redemption. The Catholic Jesus did not cancel the eternal sin debt. We see that the true Jesus did in Colossians 2.13. One verse that destroys the concept of purgatory is 1 John 1.7. The blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from some sin, many sins, most sins, all sin. So if you're trusting in the blood of Jesus, it proves that purgatory is the lie of the devil. But yet this is, again, the safety net for Catholics. Jesus didn't purify all sins, according to the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Jesus does not save completely and forever. Catholics deny the promise of the gospel, which is the assurance of eternal life. The Catholic Jesus does not redeem from the law's curse. In fact, Catholics believe that they must obey the law in order to be saved. Well, according to Galatians 3, that places them under a curse. Because according to James 2.10, if you were to keep the law perfectly and yet stumble at one part, you're guilty of breaking the entire law. And the Catholic Jesus is not the only sinless mediator. You know who the other one is, right? The Blessed Virgin Mary, conceived without sin, lived a sinless life, and Catholics can go through her as a mediator because she continues to bring the grace of salvation. Truly another Jesus. He is not the only way. Again, the Pope said atheists who deny Christ can make it to heaven. Then you look at the Jesus Jesus of Islam, Esau. Muslims deny the deity of Christ. They deny his crucifixion. They deny his eternal existence, and they deny his work of redemption. And they are forbidden to worship him, according to Surah 4, 157. They look to him as a prophet, a servant of Allah, and a miracle worker who was born of the Virgin Mary and taken bodily into heaven. Now, I know you have a large Muslim population in this area, one of the things I like to do as you witness to Muslims is to ask them, who do you believe Jesus is? And they will come back with, he is a prophet of God. And I will ask, so you believe he was a false prophet? Oh, no, no, we believe he was a true prophet of God. Well, he declared himself to be God, so he's either a true prophet and he is God, or he's a false prophet and he's lying about who he is. Oh, no, we believe he's a true prophet. You can't have it both ways. You must challenge them in their unbelief, and hopefully they will turn to the scriptures as their authority. This is definitely a stumbling block for Muslims because they are said to be cursed if they believe that Jesus is God's son. 
The third common bond is they both have a works righteousness salvation. According to Surah 23, verses 102 and 103, Allah will place one's good and evil works on a divine scale. Those whose scales are light, they will lose their souls in hell. Catholics believe that sacraments, good works, and obeying the law are necessary for salvation. According to paragraph 1821 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Catholics can obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. They can merit for themselves and for others the graces necessary to obtain eternal life. How do you merit the unmerited favor of God? You see how they even twist the definition of grace? Well, Muslims have their five pillars in order to make it to heaven. Faith in the only true God, Allah, and Muhammad is prophet. Then you also have to have prayer and fasting and almsgiving and pilgrimages to Mecca at least once. And we'll look at that again in a moment. The fourth common bond, both honor Mary above all women. And I really believe this is going to be the one catalyst that brings Islam and Catholicism together. Mary is the only woman mentioned in the Quran. She's a model to Muslims because of her submission to God. And that's what Islam is all about, submission. Did you know that Mary is spoken of more in the Quran than she is in the Bible? She is said to be the mother of all humanity and is venerated as a pure and holy saint in both religions. Well, most people know the importance of Mary in Catholicism, but very few know how important she is in Islam. She is the most revered woman of the Muslim faith. Both Muslims and Catholics refer to her as Our Lady. Pope Francis has said that Mary is not only the bridge joining us to God, she is more. She is the road that God traveled to reach us and the road that we must travel in order to reach him. Again, denying that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. The Pope continues to deceive people with fatal lies because God has not opened his mind to understand scriptures. Mary is not the road we must travel. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. In fact, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws. The fifth common bond, both seek messages from apparitions. This is what's fascinating. Muslims and Catholics are now flocking to apparition sites to receive messages from Mary. There is one popular site in Fatima, Portugal. Fatima is a place named after Muhammad's first daughter. And so Muslims are now flocking to Fatima to get messages from Mary. And the question for all of us is, could this be some of the lying signs and wonders that Satan will use to unite Catholicism and Islam? As the day of our Lord approaches, we should not be surprised that apparitions continue to be used by the devil in more places and more often than ever before. You know that Satan's ultimate goal is to rebuild the Tower of Babel, and he wants to receive the worship that he's always desired. And so this is the reason for 
the ecumenical movement now and the building of bridges by the Vatican into all the religions of the world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, we see the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So it shouldn't surprise us that the increase of demonic activity is taking place today. Satan, I think, knows his days are numbered, and he's doing everything he can to keep people out of the Bible because the Bible is where the truth that sets people free is found, and he's also trying to hold people captive to do his will, and he does this through lying signs and wonders. Not too many years ago, the History Channel came to Dallas to interview me on the apparitions of Mary, and I said something that they ended up using in their opening statement for the documentary. I said, it always is amazing to me how people will spend thousands of dollars and travel thousands of miles to get a message from an apparition of Mary when they can open their Bible right where they are and get a message from God. <clears throat> Well, apparitions of Mary are seeking the unity of all people. And you can see the, the exponential increase in the activity of apparitions of Mary from all over the world. We can only wonder where Mary will appear next. I, Newsweek ran an article saying, in many ways, the 20th century has belonged to Mary. Many of the apparitions of Mary make it clear she has come for all of her children, and that people of all religions can be saved apart from Jesus Christ as long as they live good lives. There's that common bond again, works righteousness. Let me give you a couple of the messages that have been appearing. By the way, uh, there is a ministry in Dallas called, uh, that focused on the apparitions of Mary, and you could dial a number, 214-973-MARY, and you could get the latest apparition from Mary. And this, this, they updated it every day. You, you wanted to get a new message, just call this number. Well, it turns out the director of this ministry heard about our ministry, and she came and asked if uh, she could talk to us. And we said yes. She went back to her car. She brought a stack of books this high. And she came in and she said, I want you to reconsider leaving the Catholic Church because Mary is calling you back. <laughs> and so she tried to make her case. And I said, would you mind if we watched a video together? And I put on a video showing the difference between Catholicism and Christianity. And I can see that she was just rejecting the words of Scripture. And then I realized I haven't even prayed yet. So I said, do you mind if I pray? And so I opened in prayer and I said, Lord, can you open our eyes to see the glorious truth of your gospel, to see that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man? And after I finished praying, we started the video again. And all of a sudden, she was understanding what the scriptures were saying. She repented and trusted Jesus Christ. She exchanged her religion for a relationship with Christ. And then she went back to her ministry of the apparitions of Mary, and she had a mailing list of hundreds of thousands of people. And she asked if 
she could use her testimony to reach all the people in her mailing list. And so I said I'd be glad to do that and publish it in our newsletter. And so she gave me the list of all the people in her ministry, and we sent her testimony out to all the people that were looking to marry and apparitions for messages from heaven. Instead, they got a message from the Word of God. And so we don't know what God used with her testimony, but we do know that it went out to hundreds of thousands of people. So one of the messages, if the world will convert to my immaculate heart, I will bring peace and give the world salvation. Another message, Muslims, Orthodox, and Catholics are equal before my son and I. You are all my children. I am giving you a piece of heaven. So in Fatima, Portugal, millions of people come from all regions of the world to pray to the Queen of Heaven and Our Lady of Peace. At one of the gatherings, the Jesuit priest said this, the religion of the future will be a general converging of religions and a universal Christ that will satisfy all. The other religions in the world are part of God's plan for humanity. God's kingdom permits this and it is nothing more than a diversified sharing in the same mystery of salvation. A Jesuit priest had this to say, and you know that the current pope is a Jesuit, and you trace back the history of the Jesuits, their purpose was to eliminate all opposition to the papacy and to the Roman Catholic Church. So there's a warning about apparitions and angels in 2 Corinthians 11:14. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deed. And then in Galatians 1.8, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. This is why John warned us do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits as we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. How do we test the apparitions? How do we test any spirit? We have to test what they say with the supreme authority of God's word. So Muhammad was not the only one who created a religion after encountering angels. 1,200 years later, Joseph Smith claimed the angel Moroni visited him with golden plates. They became the source for the Mormon cult and the Book of Mormon. Previously in 610, Muhammad began seeing visions and hearing voices of angels. This led to his role as prophet and self-appointed apostle of Arabia. Each became a self-appointed authority and codified their beliefs in their religious books. The parallels between these two origins and practices of the two religions are really beyond coincidence. We know who's behind it all. The fruit is the same, the teachings are deceptive, and the source is the father of lies, Satan himself. I want to share with you a couple of more common bonds between Muhammad and Joseph Smith. Both were approached by angels in remote areas. Both claimed Christianity was corrupt. Both said they were God's one true and final prophet. Both borrowed heavily from the Bible. Both embraced polygamy, bigotry, and a bizarre afterlife. 
both believed in a works righteousness salvation. There's that common bond again. Both denied original sin and both denied the eternal deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really tragic how many people have been deceived by these two false messages that originated from fallen angels. Well, the sixth common bond, both have human mediators and intercessors. Catholics rely on the priesthood to hear confession, to dispense salvation through the sacraments, and to offer sacrifices for them. Not too long ago, I was equipping a church in Emporia, Kansas, and after equipping them Saturday morning, we went out to the Catholic Church Saturday evening before the sacrifice of the Mass, and we wanted to engage Catholics as they were coming in. A lot of times when I travel, I always try and get an appointment with the priest in the local area and see if he will meet with me. And I called the priest in Emporia, but he was too busy to meet with me. But as we walked into his church, I saw the red light over the confessional on, which signified that he was inside hearing confessions. So I turned to the elder of the church and my wife, and I said, pray for me, I'm going to go to confession. <laughs> so I walked in, and there was no longer a screen as there was when I grew up. He was there sitting in a chair, and I said, I don't even know where to begin. It's been over 30 years since my last confession. He said, well, don't worry. When you leave here, I promise to forgive all of your sins. And then he said, why has it been 30 years? I said, well, I've been reading the Bible. <laughs> he said, well, how has that kept you from the confessional? I said, well, what I read in the Bible goes directly against what I was taught as a Roman Catholic. He said, give me an example. I said, well, in John 19.30, it said, Jesus said, it is finished. So why do you continue on an altar with Jesus finished on the cross? He said, give me another example. <laughs> I said, well, in 1 John 1, 7, we read the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. So why do we need purgatory? He said, I can see this is going to take longer than I thought. <laughs> why don't you call me on Monday and we'll continue the conversation. Well, I flew back to Dallas and I did call him Monday morning, and by then he knew why we were there. He said, why were you here proselytizing us? Don't you know we're all children of God? We're all Christians? I said, no, that's the reason we were there. As I told you, I grew up as a Roman Catholic, and I embraced a false and fatal gospel, and I wanted to share the true gospel with all the people that were attending your church that day. And I started sharing the gospel with him. And he said, you know what? Nothing you can say will ever change my mind. I was born a Catholic, and I'm going to die a Catholic. I said, not according to the word of God. You were born a sinner, and you're going to die a sinner unless you repent and believe the gospel. And then he hung up on me. But Catholics trust priests as their mediators, just like Islam trusts Muhammad. Muslims will rely on the intercession of Muhammad on Judgment Day. He will prostrate himself before Allah, who will say, O Muhammad, speak, it will be heard and be given, intercede, and it will be approved. So Muslims are trusting in Muhammad to be their mediator on the last day. In other words, Allah will 
pull out of hell anyone whom Muhammad will intercede for. Of course, both these religions have it wrong. The Bible teaches there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, have you ever realized the reason there's only one mediator? It's because he is God's perfect man and man's perfect God. He's the only one qualified to come between two warring parties. Before the mediation of Christ, we were enemies of God. Our relationship was one of hostility. But through the one mediator, he has changed our relationship to one of peace and harmony. He is the only one qualified. Another common bond, both are anti-Semitic. The Vatican has issued over 100 anti-Semitic documents. It has taught the Jews should be cursed because they killed Christ. Pope Urban II promised heaven to Catholics who died persecuting the Jews. The persecution of Jews by Muslims includes, in 1033, the Fez massacre of 6,000 Jews, and the 1066 Granada massacre when thousands were killed in Spain. Muhammad's words recorded in the Hadith say, the last day will not come until Muslims destroy the Jews. And this is why Islam is determined to eliminate the Jews from Israel. As long as the Jews remain in Israel, it says to the world that Muhammad was a false prophet Allah is a false god, and the Quran is a false revelation. So their whole religion is based on the fact that the Jews must be eliminated from Israel in order for the Quran to be true and Muhammad to be a true prophet. Well, there's a common bond of anti-Semitism, but they meet in different ways. Roman Catholicism rejects the new covenant that we see in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, and Islam rejects the Abrahamic covenant that we see in Genesis 13 and 15, verse 15. And we see in John 16, 2, an hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. This is why... There's so much anti-Semitism in the world today. Well, let's look at these two covenants that Catholicism and Islam reject. Catholics believe the church has replaced Jews as God's chosen people. That, by the way, is why it took over 50 years for the Vatican to recognize Israel as a sovereign nation. They kept thinking they've got to go away because we have replaced the Jews as God's chosen people. Islam believes the disputed land of Israel belongs to Muslims because any land conquered in the name of Allah belongs to them. So replacement theology is the belief that God rejected the Jews and canceled his covenants with them and now favors the church as the new chosen people. The eighth common bond, they both seek world dominion. Look at this graph showing the growth of the Muslim population throughout Europe. The strategy for world dominion encompasses a variety of methods, ruling with an autocratic government of intimidation and fear, forcing people to convert, putting to death those in opposition, and growing their religion through births. 
That's the Jesuit agenda in Catholic eschatology. The Jesuits' goal has been to establish a kingdom for their pope and to eliminate all opposition. Catholic eschatology teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ will not return to the earth until the whole world has become Roman Catholic. This is why you see such a push for ecumenical unity. You know, before Vatican II, you and I were called heretics by the Catholic Church, but now they've got this decree of ecumenism. They know they can't win us back by calling us names, so now they call us separated brethren. And the calling card for us to come back is the Eucharist. They teach that you cannot have the fullness of salvation until you come back for the Eucharist. So keep this in mind as you see evangelicals signing unity accords with Roman Catholics. They have been seduced into believing that we have to have unity with Roman Catholics. It really grieves me because this has put the Roman Catholic Church off limits to evangelism. The average evangelical is confused today because they've looked at people like Al Mohler and Mark Bailey and all the evangelical leaders that have signed these unity accords. They don't know if the Catholic Church represents a mission field or if they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're following personalities rather than the Word of God. They don't realize that the Catholic Church represents a huge mission field. Both religions rule with an autocratic government. The Pope has full, supreme, and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. Paragraph 882 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Muhammad said, I have been ordered to fight the heretics till they say, none has the right to be worshiped but Allah. So the seat of each religious authority resides in one person who has absolute power. The authority and power is upheld by indoctrination, by intimidation, and by fear. We were told if we ever left the one true church, the Catholic Church, that we would burn in hell. That's pure intimidation. Muslims are to be killed if they ever convert to another religion. This punishment is prescribed in the Quran and is carried out in many Muslim countries that practice Sharia law. We have a neighbor that was a Muslim who converted to Christianity through our neighborhood home Bible study. She now attends our church, but she's unable to sign the register that she attended for fear that she may be killed for converting to Christianity. We need to keep this in mind when we witness to those who are paralyzed with religious fear we need to speak the truth and love with compassion. Both have forced conversions and killed heretics. Both have had holy wars of inquisitions against their enemies. Islam has forced people to convert under the threat of death or by making their lives miserable through taxes and denial of their rights. Islam continues to kill and behead Christians who will not convert. We see that in the newscasts throughout the world today. I don't know how many of you study church history, but the Roman Catholic Church has a horrendous history of torturing and murdering anyone who would not bow their knee to the Pope. During the Inquisition, during the Reformation, they killed millions of heretics, most of which were Christians. 
If you've ever studied the St. Bartholomew Day Massacre, over 100,000 French Huguenots who were following John Calvin were put to death by the Roman Catholic Church. They said the streets of Paris were ankle deep in the blood of the martyrs. And yet we have evangelical leaders that want to have unity accords with this religion that is an enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, an enemy of Christians. In Spain alone, the number exceeded 3 million. About 300,000 were burned at the stake during the Spanish Inquisition, according to the Fox's Book of Martyrs. In spite of the bloody, in spite of the bloody history of these two religions, they both have a peculiar friendship with the world. Have you noticed that? Whenever Fox News, which is a conservative news station, wants to speak anything about religion, they bring in the cardinal or they quote the pope. Friendship with the world. Both grow primarily through births and remain because of fear. Over 16 million babies are baptized into the Catholic Church every year. Muslims have the highest fertility rate in the world with 3.1 children per woman. All children born into a Muslim family are Muslims. Their confirmation occurs as they confess the Shahada. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. That's all they have to do, and they become a Muslim. If the number of followers was a good measure for choosing a religion, then Islam and Catholicism would definitely be the way to go. This was an argument my uncle, the Roman Catholic priest, used. When he had no answer for the word of God, as we pointed him to the scriptures, he threw up his hands and he said, Mike, how can one billion Catholics be wrong? So I said, let's let Jesus answer that question. And I turned to Matthew 7 and I asked him to read the verses that say, the road is narrow that leads to life, very few find it. The road is wide that leads to destruction, and many are on it. Father Charles, just because you have a billion Catholics walking down the same road, Jesus said it's the road to destruction. You need to repent and go through the narrow gate, which is Christ Jesus. But unfortunately, he never did repent. But we fed him the word of God each time he came to visit us. And that's what we're called to do, right? We have to be the mailman delivering the message. Their response is not dependent upon us, but dependent upon the sovereignty of God. The ninth common bond, both use prayer beads to escape punishment. In Catholicism, rosary beads are used for repetitious prayers to remit punishment for sin. In Islam, their beads correspond to the names of God. By the way, none of which is Father. They have 99 names, but they don't have a personal God, so not one of them is Father. Praying to Allah five times a day is an act of obedience to escape the punishment imposed on those who pray. Catholics began praying the rosary in the 13th century when an apparition of Mary taught St. Dominic to pray the rosary beads. And Islamic prayer beads were popular long before that. The last common bond, both take pilgrimages to obtain favor from God. In Catholicism, pilgrimages have historically been acts of religious purification through indulgences. 
And in Islam, pilgrimages to Mecca are mandatory and must be carried out at least once in their lifetime. At the turn of the millennium, Roman Catholics were promised a plenary indulgence, which means that all of your sins would be purified through this indulgence as long as you flew to Rome and walked through the holy door into St. Peter's. This was a pilgrimage to escape divine punishment. It was Pope Francis who offered this plenary indulgence for the remission of punishment for sins if they would travel through this wooden door. Only a master deceiver would point gullible people to a wooden door rather to, than to the living door, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is how deceptive the religion is. How many people spent thousands of dollars to go to Rome to walk through a wooden door because they thought they could have their punishment for venial sins remitted? Well, clearly there's supernatural blindness we read in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the prince of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You know, it's fascinating to me if you back up one chapter and you read what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, this veil of blindness remains over every man's heart until they turn to Christ. So as long as you're listening to your iman or as long as you're listening to your pope or your priest, the veil of blindness remains. But if you turn to Christ and his word as the supreme authority in all matters of faith, then God promises the veil of your blindness will be lifted. And so that's what we must encourage people of these religions to do. I was going to be preaching at an IFC conference at South Bend, Indiana, and before the conference, we were out at a restaurant and we walked in, there was some dark-skinned people standing in line ahead of us. And so I asked them, so what is your religion? And they said they were Muslim. And so in the conversation, I asked them, have you ever read the Bible? They said, no, we never have. I said, did you know the Bible is the only religious book that dares to predict the future? And over 30% of the Bible contains prophetic events that have either taken place already or will take place in the future. One Muslim said, I was not aware of that. I said, yes. Do you realize the importance of that? The Bible proves to be the only revelation of the true God because the true God is the only one that knows the end from the beginning, and he has recorded it in Scripture for all to read. I said, did you happen to know why the Quran doesn't have any prophecy? He said, no. I said, please don't take offense, but the God of Islam does not know the future because he's not the sovereign God. Well, the Muslim that I was talking to, the one was disinterested, but the one said, this has really encouraged me. I want to open the Bible and begin reading it. So that, that's just a great way to challenge Muslims, to let them know. You want to know the future? Pick up the Bible. The Quran doesn't have it. So we must exhort Catholics and Muslims to turn to the true Christ who is gloriously revealed in Scripture. That's their only hope because Paul writes, whenever a person turns to Christ, the veil of blindness is removed. So what must we do? 
We need to show both Catholics and Muslims the true Jesus as he is gloriously revealed in Scripture. Open the Word of God. Open the Bible. Sit down. If you're witnessing to a Catholic, open their Bible. They're told not to trust anything from the Protestant church. So by opening their Bible, you've removed one of the obstacles. They have the same 66 books. You can walk them down the Roman road, show them the scriptures that will lead to life. Call them to repent and believe the gospel. That was the first command of our Lord Jesus. We need to explain what the word repentance means. The Greek word metanoia, it's a change of mind that results in a change of direction. Rather than believing the false and fatal gospel of Catholicism or the false way of Muhammad, you must change your mind and believe the true way, which is through Christ alone. We need to contend earnestly for the true faith. We'll talk more about that in the next hour. But as you can see, demonic activity is on the exponential increase. I really believe Satan knows his days are numbered. And so there's this ecumenical movement that is right from the pit of hell, trying to join all the professing Christians of the world under the power and influence of the Pope. So more than ever, we need to stand up in defense, not only defending the purity and exclusivity of the gospel, but defending the glory and honor of our Lord Jesus Christ and also the sanctity of his church. That's what's at risk if we don't stand up and speak the truth in love. When you're in a circle of influence, when you're talking to people, and you recognize what they've just said is a lie, don't let it go unabated. You have every right to stand up and speak the truth just as they spoke the lie. We need to be courageous and bold in these times of great deception. Amen? Well, I understand we have a few moments for any questions if anybody would like to do that. While you're thinking about it, I want to tell you about a couple of resources. Preparing for Eternity is a book that I wrote that encourages Roman Catholics to trust Christ and his word over the teachings and traditions of their religion. It's also an excellent tool for you to equip yourself. Contending for the gospel is what we'll talk about in the next hour. We have several DVDs. All of them contain two messages with all the keynotes. And by the way, I have a precious helpmate, Jane. She does all the slides that you've seen this morning. A fabulous job. We also have a new resource. All of our, I say all of them, 20 of our most popular messages are now contained on a thumb drive, so you can pick up that. And we really believe in sharing the gospel through gospel tracts, and we have some of those with us. Our most popular one now is you can never do what Christ has done, which totally destroys the idea of a works righteousness salvation. So avail yourselves to all of our resources. And now I think, is it Brian? No. Brian has a question? Oh, okay. Uh, yes, first of all, I want to say I'm totally bored with what you're talking about, but my question may indicate that I'm not, but I am very much aboard with what you're saying. Um, okay, if um, we have been taught mighty good teaching here between Eric and, and uh, whatever your name is, at any rate, um, some, some great teaching here. And one of the teachings is that if a person is related 
to Christ, that no matter what denomination they may be, we ought not to disallow that. and We should embrace them as brothers and sisters. Do you have any given way in which, do you have any insight as to how we might identify people who have a relationship with Christ so we can fortify that? Sure. Since we've talked about Roman Catholics, let me say that not everybody that attends the Catholic Church is lost. There are born-again Christians, but they're no longer Catholics because in order to be born again, you have to repent of the Roman Catholic plan of salvation and believe the true gospel. But the Spirit of God will eventually move them out as they are discipled in the truth. And that's why the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. It's not to go and make decisions. When a person repents and believes the gospel, your work has now just begun to disciple them to learn everything that Christ has commanded. So how do you know if someone's a true convert? Well, you open the Word of God, and are they willing to submit to the Word of God as their authority? Are they willing to turn away from any deception that they have been taught and follow Christ and His Word? That's a mark of a true convert. Another mark is that they're now wanting to reach all of their loved ones with the gospel. That's a sign of true conversion. Yes? I see a, a softening of social issues within the Catholic Church, i.e. abortion, uh, 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 gay marriage, homosexuality, mm -hmm. and uh, critical race theory, just to name three. Sure. Uh, they don't hold, we see a lot of uh, people in leadership that are Catholic, yet they're never held, that are Catholics that are never held accountable uh, uh, to uh, uphold their Catholic beliefs. So my question is, do you see at some point in time when all of these social issues will just be erased from the Catholic Church's basic doctrine? And uh, if so, what do you make of that? Yeah, I see a constant erosion. It'll continue, I believe. Um, the previous pope was very doctrinal. In fact, that's why he wrote the catechism. It's full of Catholic doctrine. He was not pastoral, which is why he resigned. He didn't want to deal with everything going on. And so now we have Pope Francis, who is not doctrinal, but he's pastoral. So he just wants to love everybody and don't worry about doctrine. So you see a constant erosion not of, only of historic Roman Catholic teaching, but also of the social issues that you've brought up. And you're right, uh, they allow Roman Catholics in high government office to continue to receive communion, even though they're pro-abortion and pro-homosexual. So uh, I see a constant erosion of this as we go forward. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Pope is uh, an avowed Marxist as well. So there's no surprise there. Yes. Red light. It means he shouldn't ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try it. We'll just give it a whirl. It's, it's Leave it to Peter. It's working. Say, Mike, I wonder if you could comment also being a former uh, Roman Catholic. In Matthew 16, can you explain how uh, Catholics co-opt the apostolic? Sure. Yeah, that's the key verse in all of Roman Catholicism. If Catholics get that wrong, then the whole system caves in. What's happened there is Jesus has just asked the question, who do people say that I am? And Peter being the first to answer, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And then Jesus said, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So divine inspiration as to who Jesus is. And so then Jesus says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. What did Peter just do? He made a confession of faith divinely revealed by the Father in heaven as to who Jesus is. That's the only way anyone can enter the church of Jesus Christ is to make that same confession. And so Roman Catholics believe that Jesus was saying, Peter, upon you I will build my church. Well, what happened a few verses later? Jesus said, before I build my church, I must first go and die for my church. What was Peter's response? Lord, may it never be. He rebuked the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men rather than the things of God. In other words, Peter, you are a mouthpiece of the devil. Now, is this a man that Jesus would build his church on, the one he later had to rebuke? And then later on, we see in Galatians 2, Paul had to rebuke Peter to his face. And so clearly he wasn't infallible, but Catholics believe that infallibility started with Peter and went all the way down through all the popes. And so you need to understand how to communicate this to Roman Catholics, that Peter was not the rock, that he was merely one who made the confession of faith as to who Jesus is. By the way, Paul and Peter both said the rock was Christ in Peter's first epistle. So we have both of them, even Peter saying the rock was Christ. Yes? Yes, I have a question. Uh, the Catholics have their own Bible as well. They've added a number of books. Is that somehow a stumbling block to try to talk to them? Not at all. In fact, most Catholics don't even know the, the Apocrypha has been added to their Bible. So you don't even have to go to the Apocrypha. They'll never take you there. Just open to the book of Romans that defines what the gospel is and call them to repent and believe it. Yeah. So something that I just ran to because I tried to bring family is many of them just don't even believe the Bible to begin with. So um, that to me was the first struggle because I couldn't use the Bible to convince them of everything because it's man-written instead of God-inspired. Sure. Well, fortunately, the Catholic Church believes the Bible is the Word of God. So you don't have to prove that to Catholics. They already know that from their church. The problem you have with reaching Catholics is they believe the Bible is only one of three authorities and they're all equal. They have the Bible, they have their sacred tradition, and they have the infallible bishops. When they speak with one voice, they say they cannot err. So what you have to do is establish the Word of God as the supreme authority over the other two. And that's really easy to do. You turn to Acts 17, 11, where you have an apostle who wrote over half the New Testament. He's preaching in the synagogues of Berea, and he notices that as he's preaching, they're searching the scriptures to test the veracity of an apostle's teaching. So that proves that every man's teaching should come under the scrutiny and the authority of Scripture, placing it above even an apostle's teaching. And then you have um, Mark 7, where Jesus rebuked the apostate religious leaders for elevating their tradition to be above the Word of God. And Jesus said, you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. So clearly, Scripture is the supreme authority 
over the other two authorities of the Catholic Church. There's no higher authority than God, and he's revealed himself through his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Yes? So do, do Catholics still get indulgences for their sins to get them out of purgatory? Yeah, they do. You'll have Catholics say that we don't believe that anymore, but it's not true because there's two different teachings in the Catholic Church. There's doctrines and then there's dogmas. And when a dogma is pronounced by infallible bishops, it remains forever. It's in concrete. It can never change. If the Catholic Church were to change one infallible dogma, it would destroy the whole religious system because it was spoken into existence by infallible bishops. So indulgences are still alive today, and all you have to do is remind Catholics next time you go to Mass, look in your bulletin, and you will see that there is Masses being said for the people that have died to get them out of purgatory. Those are indulgences in the form of Mass cards. And they have to pay the priest anywhere from $50 to $300 for these Mass cards. They put the name of their loved one on it. The priest puts it on the altar. He offers up the sacrifice of the Mass to get them out of purgatory, but no priest will tell you how many masses must be offered before they're removed. And so Catholics are in bondage to this religious system, not only in this life, but even in the next life. We know of Catholics that have willed their entire estate to the Catholic Church so that when they die, perpetual masses will be said to get them out of this fictitious place. Yes. Um. Just a comment on that and then a, then a question. So when I talk to Catholics about the issue of purgatory, you know, you can tell that the scriptural arguments, they just brush off like water off a duck's back. You know, it, it's just disgusting and frustrating. So you kind of have to meet them on that weird existential level where their, where their brain is. And, and when they're arguing for purgatory, you know, they, there's got to be a place between heaven and hell. And I say, okay, you're right. You believe there's a place between heaven and hell where your eternal destiny is decided. You're right. That place does exist, and you're in it right now. Good. So that's my comment on purgatory. But yeah. the other question I had, I don't, you know, I didn't come armed with any information, but a few years ago um, I had gotten into a discussion with some, uh, some Asian Christians that are privy to things going on over in Asia and Southeast Asia and places. And there is a, uh, apparently no small controversy about the use of the name of Allah in the Bible translations over there by Catholics and apparently even evangelicals. And I, I, you know, I don't know if you know a lot about that, but you might want to look into this growing influence of using the name of Allah in Christian, uh, Christian materials over in Asia, Southeast Asia and places. Yeah, I'm very well aware of it. And it's very heartbreaking to see evangelicals doing that. And, um, there's a, some missionaries over there that are saying hundreds of thousands of Muslims are coming to Christ. Well, which Christ? Is it Esau, who they already believe in, or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? See, there's no call to repentance, and that's why you have no clear indication that there's been any change in the Middle East that is dominated by the Islamic religion. 
Yeah, it's heartbreaking to see the uh, mistranslation. To me, that's heresy when you add the name of Allah to the scriptures because we know what the names of God are given through scripture and not, Allah is not one of them. So we need to call these people to account. I, I've actually done that in public meetings when these missionaries have come over and said that people are being saved because they've had, they've had visions of Christ. Well, that's how Islam got started, through visions of angels, you know, through Muhammad. No, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. It doesn't come from visions because Satan can, of course, as we've just seen, mislead people through these different apparitions and visions. So call them to account, yes. Um, would you agree that um, when Roman Catholics um, bow down to their wafer, you know, they have a, I guess you can sign up for a certain day when you're sure. going to sit with the wafer, that's Jesus to them. That's the same as when um, the Israelites worship the golden calf. So right. Um, it's just pure idolatry. And I know very hard to talk to Roman Catholics about their traditions because they have a great way of twisting what the Bible says. Like one time somebody wrote about um, why did God get angry when the Israelites were worshiping the Queen of Heaven? And the response was, well, they were worshiping the wrong Queen of Heaven. I mean... <laughs> yeah, there's only one. Yeah, and yeah. like they're... Jeremiah 44. Mm-hmm, and yeah. during the... They, they have a way of making... The priesthood was started by Jesus when he was giving the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper has nothing no, to do... No, actually, the priesthood ended when Jesus gave up his spirit because the veil separating the Holy of Holies was ripped open from top to bottom, right. showing but that now we don't need priest offering sacrifices right. because Jesus Christ, the perfect high priest, offered himself the perfect sacrifice mm -hmm. to a perfect God who demands perfection, and then he cried out, it is finished. So right. now we have access directly to the Father through right. the blood of Jesus Christ. Right. But they say that's when they started their Roman Catholic priests well, who could offer sacrifice. I know sacrifice. that's what they say, but... They twist everything. It's just sure. impossible to deal with them. It is. But only the Spirit of God can open their eyes. Yep. One more question, and then we'll have time afterwards as well. Just a comment on what Levant was saying about the 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 link between Jeremiah, the queen of heaven, uh, if you look at her crown, it's a crown of 12 stars. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to Lebanon and you go up to the mountain that overlooks the city uh, that's got all the Maronite Catholics there, there's a huge statue of Mary, and she's wearing a crown of 12 stars. Yep. So yeah, let's close in a prayer, and then we can uh, open up for fellowship and donuts and uh, beverages. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the message that Mike gave to us, and we do pray, Lord, that if there are any here or perhaps listening that don't know Christ and the true gospel, we pray that they would repent and believe the gospel, Lord. And we also pray, Heavenly Father, that you would embolden us to go contend for the faith. We uh, pray that you'd give us opportunities and regenerate hearts before us. We also pray for Mike's next message, Lord. We pray again for your word to go through 
of his mouth to us, Lord, that we'd be edified and sanctified, and also that it would reach perhaps those who don't know, and that they would repent and believe the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.